0: Coming up on today's show, I'll be chatting with actor Christina Wren, who you may know as Major Carrie Ferris, in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. We talk about how she was fascinated with acting from an early age, creating the Two Kids with a Camera production company with her husband, her time being a part of the LA Macabre series that's currently available on Amazon Prime, and how, as an actor, it's important to understand what's going on with all aspects of of being on a film set. This was a really fun conversation to have, a really insightful from an actor standpoint. So I don't think you can get enough of that on the show. So all of that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and I'm happy to be joined this week by actor Christina Wren. Christina, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm good, Derek. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And we were just talking uh, a little bit before we, um, we started recording, and I feel like every interview I've done since really... Like late March, early April, has mm-hmm. started with this this whole conversation. We were talking about how like doing stuff remotely has just become really kind of the norm. When before it was yeah. kind of the exception. Like if it was a big mm-hmm. deal if you had to do a virtual meeting or even you know right. doing these podcasts. I do most of them in person, but since the pandemic hit, it's, everything is just so virtual. It's like I'm used to watching everybody through a small screen.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. It's super strange, and I like. I always thought the technology was amazing and and cool and a great resource, but I found it now to be something that also is quite emotional, like to get to FaceTime friends or Zoom, you know, that's our only real connection to them and to feel like, okay, I got to see their face. I feel like we hung out or, you know, we were at their place, whatever. I'm so incredibly grateful. And it's made it possible to continue on with our work, which is also also, huge. So you know, obviously not the same as sitting actually in the room with another human. but, um, but, yeah, can you imagine if this didn't exist? Like it would be a totally different experience right now, yeah,
0: I was having that conversation with somebody the other day, and even January and February seem like entirely different lifetimes because like oh we my
1: gosh, yeah,
0: we were starting to hear about Covid overseas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that you'd hear like, oh, four or five cases in the entire country as far as here goes. and right. then, March right. happens. And it, it's funny because in, in past conversations I've had with people on the show, they were working on projects and they literally mm-hmm. just, you know, shut down. You know, I was talking yeah. with a, a stunt coordinator yeah. a couple of weeks ago and he had, I think, three days to uh, initially mapped out to do whatever it was that he had to do. And then the producer okay. came up and was like, "Oh, uh, can you do it all in one day? Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. I remember exactly what you're talking about. It almost felt like watching like the zombies coming or something like i just felt like you could see this wave coming and we didn't know quite how it was going to hit us and quite how to prepare i had one of my last experiences really the last thing i did before going into lockdown one of my dear friends was in um the harry potter show in san francisco and she was um had a big show coming up where she was playing one of the lead roles. Cause she just, she like understudies a handful of the main characters. So she's going to go on as a lead. So I was like, well, great. Like I'll drive up and see you. I was in LA. And all this stuff started happening and we were sort of going is, like, is this okay? Can we still go? And I remember having this feeling of get it in now. Like you can see it's not quite here yet, but it's, it's coming. and everyone was sort of chatting about it and hoping we, okay and doing the right things we still didn't quite know what this thing was and where it was going but in hindsight it's so strange to think about now like I cannot I'm so grateful number one that I got to see it and have that experience before all this but also like I can't even hardly remember being in a room with five people much less a giant theater you know it's just like to your point a completely different world it just feels like another existence
0: when it's going back and watching stuff, even as recent as earlier this year, watching like, uh, you know, football games or some type of right. show with right. a large audience, you yeah. know, like that just looks so foreign yeah. now.
1: Doesn't it feel jarring even watching movies, like old movies? But when you see a bunch of people in a bar or a crowd, it's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It's just so, so strange that uh, something I couldn't have ever imagined. Um, Yeah. As a person, we were watching uh, old Pearl Jam videos on YouTube the other day and just seeing how many people were really at a Pearl Jam concert, like smushed up on each other, you know, and now you're like, oh my gosh, the germs, but, but, you know, we could, we could do it. We could be together. So hopefully again, not too far from now.
0: Hopefully so. Hopefully Mm -hmm. so. Which I I did want to ask you, you know, as an actor and someone who works in the Mm -hmm. industry, how has the adjustment been for you like specifically as an actor because you know you you go to all these auditions and everything how, how is it how's the adjustment been to doing things you are know, pretty much ver- ex- exclusively yeah. virtual
1: it's definitely you know a mixed bag like I our work as actors is communal and so there is something really a little bit lonely and isolating about you know just kind of doing everything from home. Um, I did, I'm a part of a theater troupe and we do something called Monday Night Playground. So, you know, we're doing it online now and I'm I'm so grateful for that. It really fills my spirit, but it's it's not the same as being in a theater with, you know, my comrades. Um, in terms of auditioning, like thankfully, my husband and I are filmmakers and self-tapes are something I was always pretty set up to do, but I have friends for whom it's like, almost knocked them out of the game, you know, because it's just not how they're wired and they live alone. And, you know, they just, they have to like go somewhere to a studio and rent space and have someone do it with them and read with them. And that can be pretty complicated. Um, if you don't have that right setup. Um I've been doing almost entirely voiceovers. And so it's been, which is really quite fun. I, I like doing voiceovers a lot, but so I've been doing a lot of, like recording auditions in my closet, just, you know, like good, good space. I, I then like when I've booked them, I've mostly recorded from home. And so like, you know, using just softwares that we can communicate with the client stuff. I did one in a studio um, that was like, you know, all the COVID precautions in place and, um, and the, the directors and everyone were just zooming in on video. So, so even that, like going into the studio is still a pretty isolated experience but thankfully there was still that engagement with the creative team so I could see them um I couldn't see them the whole time but like you know they're flashing in so I can at least sort of get a read because also it's interesting doing the like the voiceover recordings when everyone's you can't see them um when you're in your home studio and, and then like one person just sort of taps in and gives you Feedback, which is great. And usually it's affirming and useful, but there's a little part of me that's always like, I wish I could see everyone in the room. Cause sometimes you can just glean the vibe. Like, are they really happy with this? And they think it's funny or like, they think this is annoying or I don't know, you know, you just can't have that, that human read on things that we we gain so much in communication beyond just, you know, the word choices that we make so we miss out on that um, but yeah, like luckily For me, it's funny. Like I, I may have worked more in the last year than I have for a while, which is sort of strange, but um, My husband and I made a, a short film that was really quite fun and uh, we had everyone it was early on in the quarantine experience so we're just like, all right, let's go make something. So everyone filmed themselves at home and we directed via zoom and then they sent us their takes and Dimitri has cut it together. And, uh, you know, he's writing a screenplay now that we're hoping to film in March. Um, that's, you know, just basically us and one other actor and it's very futuristic. So, you know, people's faces are covered for different reasons. And, um, so we've been able to, in the words of Daniel tiger, turn it around and find something good. But, uh, but I'm so hungry to be back with community, you know, like I, I I don't hunger for auditions like I don't need to drive across town and get all dolled up for like five seconds saying I'll eat a hamburger. But um, but I I really do miss working with my community.
0: Well, I'm sure as a performer, and you mentioned being part of a theater troupe, I'm sure that mm-hmm. you you miss the, the feedback or the emotion that you get from the audience and how yeah. they react to what yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. do. I'm, I'm sure that's got to be a huge adjustment.
1: It is. It's funny you say that because um, <laughs> the piece we did the other day, and I usually like, I don't know, I'm not usually with this group, at least self-conscious at all. Like I've I've worked with them for a very long time and I, you know, it goes well and I enjoy myself and I get good feedback, but for some reason, I think because it was, it was this like very kind of profound and very emotional piece um, that was also, I think kind of intensely personal for the people who made it. And uh, yeah, I just really felt like, Oh gosh, did it land? Like I, I know I ended up in this, you know, deeply emotional place and I, I, I hope it was as real for other people as it was for me or something. Like it was weird to have those kind of insecurities creep in because if I was in the room with people, I would have been able to see if they were crying, if they were shielding their face with horror, you know, I mean, whatever it is like you would know. Um, so yeah, you're, you're just kind of tuck into your computer screen, hoping someone is enjoying themselves on the other side. But, yeah.
0: yeah. And also uh, I think one of the positive aspects of this whole crisis that we've been going through is it, it has in a way forced you know, people who work in the industry and, you know, even part of, you know, my day job to be more creative with things. And I've, yeah. I've mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. this before too, is that I think once things start to get back to normal, I think we're going to see this huge surge in creativity with indie filmmakers. Cause those who write can still write at yeah. home. And yep. you know, those yeah, there's
1: who, tons of scripts being developed right now. yeah
0: So uh-huh. I, I think once, things start to open back up and be more to what we consider to be normal. There's going to be this gigantic wave of creativity. You're going to hear about all these different projects from all over the country and even all over the world. So that I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think also like I'm fascinated by what this is inspiring in people. I'm really curious to see the types of stories that come out of this global cultural experience, you know, it'll be pretty fascinating to see how it's also shifted our sort of collective creative psyche as well.
0: For sure. So kind of backtracking a bit, what was it that initially made you want to want to become an actor? Was it something that you knew from an early age? Like what was it that sparked that interest in you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. So I like I as long as I can remember having seen a television, I wanted to jump inside the screen like i just i was so jealous of any kid who was like on sesame street or visited mr rogers or like the kids in chitty chitty bang bang i just was like oh this is the coolest thing ever but i just thought that's how every kid felt like i didn't know that that was at all distinct or something about me um and i always thought and i like still have this thing that i fight with which is so strange but of just being like, I'll never have a chance to do that. I'll never get to, you know, and and I, where I grew up in Pittsburgh at the, like, there was no industry there. There is now, but growing up, I mean, that was so, Hollywood was like the farthest thing away from this, you know, fading blue collar town that um, was a former steel town, you know? Um, And so when I was in second grade, my mom took me to a, children's theater production that um, her friend's kid was in. And again, I was so jealous, it was Godspell. And I remember in particular, this one scene, they all put on these white gloves and did this like black light dance. And I just was holding onto my seat because I wanted to run up on the stage so bad and be with those kids. And I knew I didn't know know, know what they were doing. I hadn't rehearsed with them, but I wanted to be a part of it so badly. And I thought like, oh, I'll never get to do that. And my mom looked at me after the show and she said, hey, Christina, is that something you know you would like to do? And it was like Santa Claus, Easter bunny, magic fairy, like bestowing all the things on me at once. Um, but she says she had never seen me that focused on anything before. And, um, and I guess, you know, for a, a pretty like rambunctious eight-year-old to sit through a two and a half hour performance, just like riveted for her she she recognized that there was an interest there and so um, I started doing children's theater and and I did it as a hobby my whole life but again I never thought of it as a career option In my junior year of high school my English teacher kept telling me I had to sign up for this um, governor's school for the arts which was a summer arts program for Pennsylvania kids and I just I was super intimidated I was like no way like I'm a public city school kid we have no arts funding there's no way I can compete with all the kids who've had like dance teachers and voice coaches and whatever their whole life and like fancy production budgets at their schools and so he was so mad at me he would check in every day because he had seen me in the little you know school productions and stuff and he said he'd check in you know did you get an application? Did you get an application? And I never had. So one day he shows up, he went to the office for me and grabbed it. Like, God bless this man. And he set it down on my desk and he was like, you're applying. (laughs) Um, So I applied and then it was a similar thing. I I got a call back for it and then I panicked and I had chosen a monologue, but didn't prepare. And my, um, I, I was just like, I'm not gonna go. I can't, like, I just, I'm not ready. I'm not gonna go, I can't do it. And my mom who knew me well, she goes, well, if you can't handle it, then don't go. And it got under my skin so bad. I So I went down in the basement. I learned this Joan of Arc monologue. Um, and that experience that summer I got in. And, and that was the first time I really experienced what this might look like as a proper craft, as like a life practice versus, you know, doing my high school musical and community theater. And um, and it was the first time I had like real coaching and, and teaching on a deeper level. And I, I just, I loved it. It was such a meaningful experience. I felt purpose in it. Um, and still sort of didn't know where my place was. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll, I was a good student. It was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I should go to school for something, you know, responsible, but like maybe I'll minor in theater and, and, uh, okay, hey, I'll major in English. Okay. I'll major in Spanish I'll major like it just whatever it was kept changing but I'll minor in theater okay I'll double major in theater okay whatever and finally uh, my parents encouraged me um, to just pursue acting which you know is unlike I know a lot of people's experiences but um, it was really them kind of nudging me in that direction that gave me the the courage and the um, strength to do it and so then I, I, uh, I studied performance in college and then you know, have, have stuck with it ever since, but it's still like, it's funny. I I mean, I, I was at the playground pushing my kids on the swings the other day and my dad's asking me about my career. I'm like, well, we'll see. I don't know. You know? And he's like, you like, you're in this. Don't, don't give it up. Don't, you know? So, um, that's kind of, I guess, been my, my journey the whole time, the ebb and flow of that, you know, artists were sensitive types, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's always been in me, but I didn't have, What some people have of like, I'm going to grow up and do that and I'm going to be a star or something like, you know, it was more just an affection for, for the craft and for the work.
0: But the good thing is you did have that support system that Mm -hmm. they they saw something in you that, you know, they knew you wanted to do it. So to have, you know, people who care enough to push you to do something like that is something that a lot of people don't have. So I I think that's super important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this, truthfully, if it weren't for them. I didn't have the the confidence in it, you know, I, I I mean, who knows, maybe I would have stumbled and found my way out of, you know, enough dissatisfaction and other things, but, um, but, but it's definitely them and their, their very generous support that has kept me, you know, on the path for so long.
0: Well, I think it all can also be a big motivating factor too, because if you have someone who believes strongly enough to push you to do something, it kind of makes yeah. you think, okay, well maybe, you know, there is something there that, you know, they, they realize things about you that you don't. So I, I think mm-hmm. that's great.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They're, so they're pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So that once you decide, okay, this is what you want to do, how did you ultimately get your foot in the door? Cause you, you mentioned that you also mm-hmm. have your, your own production company, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is really how things happen. So when I was in college, I, um, I had a minor in Pan African Studies, and I had spent my final semester in South Africa, and I knew that I wanted to get back. And um, I had also the um, I grew up on the north side of Pittsburgh, and my family was really a you know a community development like sort of invested in the the world that I grew up in, and um, and that was always a part of who I was. And so when I graduated, I got a grant to do this production back in Pittsburgh on the north side um, where we were doing devised theater based on the oral histories of the local community. And so I did these video interviews with um, older members of the community who had been around for generations and then did a live um, hip hop theater production with the students, you know, and like younger people in the community. And then we put them together um, to have their voices in conversation. And so Fast forward to, um, I had met and worked with this guy named Demetrius a few times right after I had gotten back from South Africa. So he knew that that had been part of my journey. And I was at this fundraiser event one night for an arts collective that um, a friend of mine ran. And I was running the door for her and he comes and he's like, hey, I'm going back to South Africa, I'm making a documentary. And I had just quit my full-time job to be a full-time artist like two days before. So it was like, it's a sign. So I basically leapt out of my skin and was like, Hey, I like, do you need someone to get paper signed or carry your bags or whatever? Like I will, you know, be your assistant for nothing, but can I, can I get back to South Africa and help? He said, actually, yeah, I'm, my um, exec's coming to town next week to interview for a producer. And because I had, you know, lived in South Africa and I had done this type of, interview work um, within a community context and stuff. It was, a, it was a good fit. And so about a month later, I was on a plane to South Africa with this guy who I'd met like four times, um, who is now my husband. But uh, we, uh, we went and made this documentary and that was also my first time like really learning filmmaking because I went to school for acting. So I, I learned a lot from him and on the job. And then after that, we formed a, a company two kids with a camera and we started taking on just, you know, like small clients here and there and then um, making our own work. So I wrote this little indie feature, Soudage, and, and we got, you know, a bunch of friends to be involved. And that's what actually ultimately kind of kicked off my career on a larger scale because the guy we cast opposite from me, Adam, David Thompson was working at a, a commercial casting office at the time. And they couldn't find a girl for this hummus commercial. So he's like, oh, I think my friend Christina could do it. So I come in for this audition, end up booking it. And Zack Snyder sees that commercial and I get called in to audition for Man of Steel. So it's like this, you know, ridiculous, crazy string of events. But um, that very much sort of came from making my own work and kind of, you know, learning on the go and and um, and then it bleeding over into the more, you know. I don't know, Hollywood career space that right. That at some point you want to get your toes into.
0: <laughs> well, and it, that's actually really fascinating in the sense that, you know, you you quit your day job, which a, that takes a ton of courage in itself to do in order to pursue this career. And then, you know, it ultimately works out. Uh, how was it learning? Because you, you mentioned, um, you know, you met your husband and then you started learning mm-hmm. the filmmaking side of things as opposed to just acting. How was that experience? Because I, I tell people that I think it's important for everyone who works in the industry, no matter what mm-hmm. position you do, you should at least have an idea of what the other jobs entail. Like those who act should yeah. learn how things work behind the camera or yeah. in post-production and you know, vice versa on every aspect. So uh, how, how was that experience for you? And do you think that that's important as well?
1: I do think it's super important. I had done one semester at um, NYU's film and television studio. And there, so we had done, you know, various forms of on-camera acting, and then we also had to, you know, work the camera for each other, or do like um, learn fully and like use a, a bottle of water to like make someone's back break. Or so I had at least like learned little bits of filmmaking to have some sort of understanding of that. But it is so important. I can tell on set immediately an actor who has no idea what goes on behind the scenes because they're so self-conscious. Like if you get, they want to do another take, it's always like, what did I do wrong? Oh my God. Cause we're sensitive. We, you know, like we put our whole selves in the work, but if you're aware of like, oh, they didn't pull focus or props wanted to do whatever, or, you know, they, you know, they're just, they wanted something wider, whatever. Like you can tell what's going on around you and it, you know, in a, in a theater, the actor is very much like the, the sort of center of it all. The actors carry the show. In a film, quite frankly, you're, you're a pretty small piece of of the, you know, whole puzzle. And being aware of that, I think, is really significant. And just understanding, like, this is the part of the machine that I am. And let me nail it, because it's a very complex machine, and nobody's got time for me to, like, do my rehearsal On set, you know, so show up prepared and 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 pay attention and know know your technique and all of that. But also, I do think it just helps a lot to understand technically where you go and like why you need to be precise about being consistent or about you know exactly like if if a director angles you in a certain way, like be there, do that. We had we were filming our show "Hicksters" with a woman who's a fantastic. Actor, but completely a, just a theater background. And she she could not understand why she had to keep like facing the actor she was talking to. She's used to being on stage where you should turn out to the audience. So we had done her coverage and we're trying to do an over the shoulder to get this other character. And she would just wanna to turn to the camera and deliver her lines. And it was it was one of those things like we just couldn't get it to click in her brain how it worked and like, she she was again, like a wonderful actor and and delightful to work with, but it was one of those things like, it can be really hard in the moment. You don't necessarily have time to teach a whole, you know, acting for the camera class. Um, So as much experience as you can get and as much understanding of how all the different um, moving parts of a film set work. I mean, you'll just, it'll be like, but if you show up and you're an actor and you're like, this is what I do, this is where I go, this is how I fit, like, People want to call you back, you
0: know. Well, and you bring up a great point, too, in the sense that you mentioned about an acting for the camera class. As great as some classes are, and I think they're great at teaching the foundation of things, but you can't replicate the on the job training. And, yeah, you might screw up a few times, but, you know, sometimes the best way to learn is to try something and it doesn't work or you do something wrong that you may not. You know, you may be unconsciously unaware of it, but I think on the job training is the best.
1: And that's why too, like, everybody's got a camera in their pocket now, you know, there's no reason to not if you have even a like remote interest in this, go out with your buds go I mean, you can do it yourself, like, make something you will learn so much so fast, you know, the best way to find out where your flaws are is to make a movie and go Oh, that's why having good mics is important. That's, you know, why you need this type of thing to be able to edit well, whatever it is, like, let it be a mess on, you know, as you learn on your own playing. And, um, cause you can, like, that's a a thing that for so long, no one had access to. You had to have like, you know, big financiers even get your hands on a camera. So, um, I, I so join you in encouraging people to like, just do it, you know, get out there and learn. Mm
0: -hmm. That's the only way you're going to know. Is if you just go out and do it, mm-hmm. and like you said, yeah, you know everyone has, sure. they have an iPhone, they have some other type of phone mm-hmm. that you can, you can make something mm-hmm. with. So, I I highly recommend yeah. that as well. But uh, you also mentioned that Zack Snyder saw you in a commercial, and then that's how you mm-hmm. uh, ultimately land a role on Man of Steel, and then also uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. So what was your experience like being on set of of those two films? Because they were both, you know, the the hype around both of them, you know, were were huge at the time. So how how was yeah. it being a part of that process?
1: Oh, my gosh, it was like the most, you know, fun thing ever. It was so great. It was um, so thrilling. I had been a huge Superman fan myself growing up. Superman was a very iconic character in our childhood, really, you know, like, more so than any other superhero. And, um, and I loved all of them despite like bad feedback. I mean, Christopher Reeve, Lois and Clark, like I just, if there was a Superman, like I was on it. Um, and so when I found out that the, uh, the untitled Warner brothers project that I had auditioned for was Superman, you know, I, um, I just, I like couldn't believe it. I lost it. So that, alone was amazing but I had also been such a huge fan of um Zach's work from 300 and it was a piece that I very specifically wanted to like similarly to my childhood experience and I I hadn't had that much since then um but like I wanted to jump in the screen of it and was angsty and like mad that I hadn't been in the scene when they were making that movie and um and I I just so vividly remember being like oh I want to do that like not just be in a movie not just like that i really like specifically that um and so the fact that they were those two things coming together really did kind of blow my mind um and i'm sure that's not the most like who doesn't want to work with zack snyder and on superman but it really it did feel very personal um and then it was fantastic like it just the cast and crew couldn't have been more welcoming and kind and and delightful to work with um and it was, of course, a masterclass just watching everyone work, you know, and, and I got such a kick out of, I mean, just watching like, you know, Richard Schiff and Chris Maloney and Harry Lennox just banter and tell all their stories and... um you know, watching Amy Adams in the room is incredible, and um, just all of it. You know, Henry Cavill is such a sweetheart. He was just really quite lovely to to work with, and and he wasn't so famous yet, so he could get away with like going out for a beer with us afterwards and just hang in, and and so that was fun. Um, yeah, it was it was just really quite quite special and quite fun, and and um, an honor to be a part of a piece of history. Too, You know, these are these are kind of landmark pieces in our cultural iconography and, and um, film history and such. And so it was really, yeah, they're, they're memories that I, I treasure quite deeply.
0: And you mentioning how Superman's a part of really American culture, and regardless of what the feedback might be on some of the Superman movies or even the shows. Anytime that a project involves that character, it's a huge deal and garners attention, you know, regardless of, you know, how, what the end result may be or what, you know, some people might think of it or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. When you hear, you know, that name, everyone's drawn attention to it. And Mm -hmm. I, I I thought Henry Cavill was a fantastic Superman and I hope he gets to play the role again.
1: Yeah. He's great. He's really great. Mm
0: -hmm. So um, as we start to to wrap up here, uh, what are some other projects that you have uh, coming up in the works? I know you mentioned, you know, you have your production company. Uh, do you have anything out currently or things that you're working on in the future that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah. So one thing that um, just came out that I'm super excited about, is called Ellie Macabre, and um, it's directed by, written and directed by a dear friend, Dan Ast. And it's this incredible deep dive into an underground cult scene in Los Angeles. And um, it's a, it's a murder mystery. It's the thriller. Um, Dan has spent the last, I mean, maybe decade of his life, like deep in researching and learning about the sort of historic cult scene in LA and in some, you know, surrounding areas. And he has created this world that is so believable when i first read this script i for sure was like oh my waiters and waitresses in the valley must be being lured into cults like you know it just it felt like this thing that that really could have evolved into this um into this community and um season one he did this great thing where it was sort of a a reality TV show and found footage world. And then the second season moves into a much more highly produced thing. And the man is like a writing genius. He he wrote he showed up like with the three seasons like this fat and plopped him on the table. Cause he he basically wrote three feature scripts in a row. It was um all by himself like no no writer's room or anything like that. He just kind of holed up and focused in on it, and um, it's a really fun, fun ride. So it's on Amazon now, so go check that out, LA Macabre. I play a hacker chick named JP, who's like super ballsy, and um, she's just, she's courageous, she's honorable, um, she's a little feisty, she plays a sort of side love interest to one of the main characters, Ryan. And, uh, it was, it was such a delight to get to play really quite fun things I get to do in season two. So, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was, it was quite fun. And then, um, yeah, if you want to check out any of my stuff, I, uh, the short that I made during quarantine is called Lazaretto and it is on my website, twokidswithacamera.com. We released it exclusively on a social media platform called Vero, which is a really wonderful community of people, um, just genuinely sharing the things that they're interested in and love and believe in, um, lots of Zack Snyder fans on Vero. So if you're into that world and that space, it's a good place to be. Um, but it's, it's great for, for everyone. So we released it on Vero. If you are, um, if you join the platform, you can get all of, they had like some interview content and things like that. You'll, you'll have access to, but you can watch it no matter what. So on the main page of two kids with a it's spelled out, Pwo kids with a camera, and then the um, the piece that we'll be shooting in March. I don't want to give too much away, but it's basically um, set up in the future when the world, the you know, Earth has become unlivable, and humans have all moved onto these satellites surrounding Earth. And something goes wrong, and the satellites all combust, and this one woman gets plunged back to earth and has to figure out how to survive. So um my husband's writing it Demetrius and he's been deep in like castaway and the revenant and things where someone's on a, a pretty solo mission. So I I feel very honored and excited that he is entrusting this to me. Um it's I'm I'm really excited to, to see my parents have agreed to watch the children so we can go make a movie, which is quite thrilling right now during quarantine. So um, yeah, I would say that's probably the highlight of what's going on right now.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. No, a lot of good stuff in the works. That's exciting.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's a good time.
0: Uh, what type of advice, or if you had one piece of advice to give uh, to an aspiring actor, what would it be?
1: Figure out who you are, which is, of course, an ever-evolving thing. But by that, try to pinpoint what your values are. What are your things that you care most deeply about? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What do you care about putting out into the world? What do you think your gifts are? Pinpoint those things and go deep with them. This is such a, it's a, it's an oversaturated field, you know, like, especially for certain types, like, you know, if you, and if you are a very distinct type, all the more reason also to like lean deep into it. Um, But you have to figure out what is distinctly you, because that is the thing no one else can bring to the table, can bring to a role, can bring to the work. And then also, you know, Amy Adams is the one who said to me um, about moving to LA that it's, it's demoralizing. So, and it can be. And that's why also you need to know who you are at your core and what you most value, because there is so much, there's so many voices that will try to tell you who you are and what you are and aren't and what you're worth or what you are not worth and all the things that, You need to change. There are people who love to try and like get a piece of you by shattering your sense of self. There's just a lot of weird stuff that can go on in this field. And so you need to really be able to kind of at the end of the day say, okay, maybe I was thrown about like this, but how do I try to anchor back in and what am I willing to sacrifice and what am I not, you know, for this? And, um, and then train, you know, practice your craft practice, whether it's, you know, getting together with your friends and, and, you know, your own materials and, and just working and practicing. There's a million amazing, you know, master classes online, these incredible interviews with fabulous actors. And there's just so many resources, so many ways to learn. Um, if you can get in, you know, to a class, uh, that you know working with other actors in person when that opens back up like you know that's a really meaningful experience if you got a good teacher um but it is it is a craft it is something that we have to practice and and train at and get better at but the best work that we can do also comes from deep within so the more life experiences that you have the more diverse and interesting and distinct life experiences that you have, like not just hanging out with other actors all the time, but, you know, where do you live? What, what do you, what do you know that other people don't know? What, what worlds can you talk about and um, characters can you represent and like stay in touch with that? Um, I think that those are the things that are, you know, the most interesting to, to watch and, and the things that will ultimately like lure people in and make them go, Oh my gosh, like, who is that? What is that that they're doing? Where are they from? What? Um, The advice when I was coming up used to be to basically strip yourself of anything that was distinctly you so that you could be a blank slate and play any character. Having that ability is great. And I still think that being able to sort of wipe the slate clean when you are trained to then, create any character from within is so significant and important, but don't lose all those pieces of yourself in the process, you know? So it's not that you want to come in and just like play yourself all the time, but you don't want to, you know, lose what roots you in truth. Does that make sense? That was very
0: rambly. No, absolutely. No, no. I I loved it. That was all great advice. Really good stuff.
1: Well, hopefully. Yeah.
0: No, it, it definitely was. But, uh, last thing before we get out of here, do you have uh, you mentioned your website. Do you have any social media mm-hmm. that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you?
1: Sure. On, um, Instagram, I am Christina Wren. Um, on Vero, I think I'm also just Christina Wren. Twitter, I'm Christina S. Wren. I don't, I'm not super active on Twitter, but I, uh, I like to fantasize that I would be one day. Um, But most places to interact with me would be, uh, yeah, either to check out my work at twokidswithacamera.com or um, on Instagram or Vero.
0: Fantastic. uh,
1: Would love to see you guys out there. Yeah.
0: For sure. Well, Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. This was fantastic.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me. This was a delight.
0: Thanks again to Christina Wren for coming on the show for that really fun and really insightful conversation. Be sure to follow her on social media and check out L.A. Macab now available on Amazon Prime. For next week's show, I'll be chatting with casting director and fellow podcaster Jamie Beebe. And this is a fun conversation for me because I've never interviewed a casting director before. And over the last couple of months, I've really been trying to uh, understand the business side of filmmaking because you know we know about the actors the directors but there's a whole other side to the film industry that I feel like isn't really talked about that much so that's part of my effort to do so so we'll be having that fun conversation right here next week on the podcast. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave me a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can also follow me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want early access to episodes, if you want the opportunity to ask guests of the show a question, and vote on show topics. Yeah, I do fun monthly roundtables here on the show, and you can decide that by heading over to patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to follow me on social media, same thing, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Podcast. And, of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.